Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Rule the day the plant-based way with the new vegan mixed berry from Smoothie King. Powered by whole, non-GMO fruits, oat milk, and vegan protein, it's a dairy-free, plant-based smoothie you can feel great about. With 13 grams of protein and half your daily fiber, it's an easy way to get the essential nutrients your body craves. Skip the line and order online for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. This is No BS Job Search Advice Radio, episode 1903. I'm your host, Jeff Alvin, the Big Game Hunter, and welcome. I like to spend time daily talking with you about elements of job search because I don't believe it has to be as hard, difficult, or painful, or take as long as it does to get good at this thing. And today I brought on someone who knows something that I don't know, and that was how to crack a case study interview. It's a great topic, a great interview. In 1900 episodes, this is the first time I've dealt with it. Hope you find it helpful and give it a great review wherever you listen to the show. And in the meantime, I'll just simply say, if you're interested in one-on-one coaching, visit my website, thebiggamehunter.us. Schedule time for a free discovery call or schedule time for coaching. I'd love to help you. And with that, let's get going. So my guest today is Brendan Kumarasamy, uh, who is the founder of Master Talk, a YouTube channel he started to help the world master the art of public speaking and communication. He coaches purpose-driven entrepreneurs on how to master their message and share their ideas with the world. Brendan, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is. Welcome. I appreciate you making time today. Of course. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's great to be on. You're welcome. So let me understand something here. Public speaking coach, case studies, like how does this blend together or does it blend together? Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to talk about that. So when I was at university, I used to do these things called case competition. So for those who don't know what that is, think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So whatever, whatever we other guys my age would eat chicken wings and watch sports. I did the same thing, but in presentations. So I'd watch a bunch of people present. And for all of my university, uh, suffice to say, I presented over 500 times, cracked uh, hundreds of cases, and now I work as a consultant. So from that moment after that, that's when I gained a lot of my exposure to case and how I ended up starting MasterTalk after to, sp- to focus a lot more on public speaking. And I appreciate you playing her today, still doing the interview, dealing with a cold or allergies or whatever it is. Thank you. So how do we go from public speaking to case? Is that that really it at the university level that you did this? Exactly. So how case studies work, and it's it's an interesting environment in the sense that, A, the competitions are really competitive. Think of it like the Business Olympics. So universities from across Canada, the U.S., the world compete against each other. And most of the people who compete 
already have job offers at the consulting firms. So they've already aced their case interviews. So you're up against really, really strong people. So it's, it's like the business Olympics. So from that moment, it creates this very strong competitive pressure for all of us to be amazing. So that's why I got really good at public speaking at such a young age, because I was presenting three times a week so I can beat them. That's fabulous. So why do firms use case studies to begin with? Why not just simply say, as, as more experienced people tend to be, to be dealing with, why don't they just ask questions about experience, knowledge, background? Why, did, yeah. why does case work for them? Absolutely. The, the main reason is because a lot of the firms, whether it's the big consulting firms that you do a case with, like McKinsey and Company, Bain and Company, BCG, IBM, and all the like, or you're doing a case for an industry-level company, let's say a telecom company or something. The reason why recruiters do cases is because they want to see how the candidate thinks. What's their thought process to solving a problem? Because the issue with fifth interviews is you can fake it, right? You know, the competent, like the questions you get are pretty much always the same. And you pretty much just get hired on personality unless you have a referral and somebody vouching for you. But in a case interview, it gives you the opportunity to see how you interact with people. But I would say in the case of McKinsey and those companies, the reason they do case is because of their day-to-day life. That's what they do every single day, and that's what the career is, essentially. Gotcha. So in, in cracking the case, how does someone start? And, and look, give, give us a representative case that you've solved previously, maybe, as a way that we can take people through the progression. Yeah, of course. So, so let's think this through from the consultant's point of view. What are they trying to assess in a case interview? Two main things. The first one is if you're a good fit for the company. And the second one is if you have a very strong thought process. So let's go over fit first and then give an example of a case for the public. So the first side of it is what is the fit for the, for the company essentially? So if you look, if you understand what the nature of a job as a consultant is, this is not a nine to five job. You're traveling most of the year. You're working very late nights. You're working well over 50 to 60 hours a week. So if you're going to pull all those hours and all that time, you probably want to hang around someone who likes you, who probably enjoys your company, or else it's going to be a long night. It's not going to be fun. So this is the biggest mistake people make with case in general is that they underestimate and the fit and overestimate the case. So they focus all their time on crunching the numbers, getting it right, but they don't answer the fifth questions well. They don't have an interesting story. They're not very personable and they crack the case. So that's very important to consider. And a good way to assess that for people is what we call the air, the airplane test, the airport test. So the airport test is very simple. When a consultant is interviewing you, let's, let's assume it's a, ca- a case interview. In that situation, what happens is the consultant isn't just looking at how you're solving the problem, how you're solving the case. They're also answering the following question, which is, the airport test. So the airport test is as follows. Let's say me and you, Jeff, are sitting at an airport together and for some, and we're working together. And unfortunately, our flight got delayed for three hours. So the question is, would I rather talk to you for three hours or put my headset and pretend you don't exist? And if the answer is pretend you don't exist, you failed the airport test, right? <laughs> That's the delete key, by the way, folks. If you're watching on, on video, if you're listening, I just pl- press the button that sends you out the trap door. 
<laughs> exactly. So you could be a, a grandmaster of cases. And frankly, I was pretty good at case, but there were people better than me that I got the job over just because I was I had a great personality the way I interacted with the case. So I want people to pay attention to that as I go over that the the actual case. So the second part is actually cracking it. So what easy let's use an easy example because you can get different types of cases in different types of situations. But here's one that, that really is an, a normal one that you get. This is called the profit and loss case. So, so how it works essentially is the case interview starts with the prompt. So let's say you're the candidate, Jeff, and I'm the interviewer. How the case start would be so as follows. Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for, for taking the time to do an interview with us. We really appreciate it. Do you mind if we just get started with the case right now? That'd be fabulous. Thank you. Perfect. So one thing I want to point out for everyone who's listening is Jeff has nothing. He doesn't have the case that's written. He just has pieces of paper and a pen. So basically, as I'm talking, I never repeat the prompt twice. So all Jeff is allowed to do is clarify things and ask questions to help solve the problem. But he can't ask for a page of the case. He can't ask for what exactly I'm saying. So he has to react very quickly. And that's very realistic to actual consulting because you have to always pay attention. So I was like giving like a disclaimer. So the case would sound something like this. Well, Jeff, well, we have this bakery and you know, the bakery sells breads, cupcakes, and you know, buns. And we've been losing money. You know, we, you know, the last year we lost a couple of tens of thousands of dollars. We're going to go into bankruptcy. What do you think? That's what a prop of a case looks like. So what Jeff needs to do in this type of situation, and this is what separates the people who know how to crack case versus the people who don't, is the people who don't go, uh, okay, what do I do now? Whereas the people who know how to crack case say, okay, just, and we're going to switch again. So let's say you're the interviewer, I'm the candidate. So what I would do in this situation, the first thing that's absolutely crucial is consultants hire other consultants. So if you don't sound like a consultant, if you don't interact like one, you fail the case. So here's a bad example of how I would respond to that prompt. Uh, uh, all right, so, uh, so there's a bakery, and uh, I, so, so you said they're losing money. So, what, so this clearly shows someone who's really stressed, someone who isn't confident. Because remember, just to give people context, when you work at McKinsey, you're in your mid-20s probably, late 20s. And you're advising CEOs of companies who have 20 to 30 years of experience. So if you're cracking, right, if you don't know how to crack a case in front of a consultant who's literally trained to be really nice, you're not going to go very far, right, with the actual. So the, so the idea is to inspire confidence that you're the solution. Exactly. And that's not just what you say, but how you say it, what your manner is like, how you present yourself physically. And it can even be as simple as, as you're starting to answer questions, having a smile on your face and a twinkle in your eyes as though you're excited about doing this as opposed to being terrified about doing this. I How's completely that? agree. I completely agree. Super. And the thing I want to emphasize with Case is a good way to practice that fit is by just grabbing a coffees with a lot of consultants. This is more of a side note. The hardest thing of Case interviews is actually getting the interview because most people actually don't get interviewed out of the hundreds of people that apply. So what you want to do to stand out is, you know, get virtual coffees with people so you can see how they interact with you. 
And the way that they interact with you is probably the way you want to interact during the case. So here's an example of a good prompt or a good response to the prompt. So it sounds something like this. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate um, you giving me this prompt. So just so I understood um, this question and this problem that you said. So there's a bakery and the bakery is losing money right now. And they have three products, cupcakes, breads, and buns. And basically what you're asking me today is how to return the bakery back to profitability. This is what we call a clarification prompt where you go back and you clarify. So what the consultant will say, let's say you're the interview again, you would say something like, correct. Or you would say, not exactly, Brendan. This is actually what we're looking for. But if he says or she says not exactly, it doesn't mean you lose points. It doesn't mean you lose points. It's actually better that you clarify. You actually get points because consultants never actually get the right answer right away. They have to always keep clarifying. Now that that's over, now the next part of the case is getting the right evidence to solve it. So P&L cases are really easy, right? So I'll break that down for as an example. So if you think about profit, profitability, what does that equal, right? Revenues minus expenses, right? This is what we call MISI, uh, MISI trees. I don't want to get too complicated for today's uh, web, today's interview, but the idea is simple. How consultants think is you need to, they think in structures. So in this example, if you think about revenues, profits minus costs, uh, revenues minus costs, excuse me, there's pretty much two problems. The bakery is either facing one of two problems. One, revenues are going down, or B, costs are going up. To keep it simple, consultants usually make the case one of the two problems because they just want to get your thought process. They're not here to throw you into a, into a dustbin. They're not here to call you out. Oh, no, you have the wrong answer. They're just here to work together. So what I would do now is now we – once again, let me repeat. So there's a bakery. They're losing money. They got three products, and the issue is they're either losing revenue or their costs are increasing. And let's assume it's like, especially a case during these moments. What I would do is now what I need to do is say the following. Jeff, do you mind if I take a couple of minutes just to think this over? This is at this point where you go, yes, Brendan, go ahead. Because now you have no time. Like you, have, you need time to think it over. So now after that, now I take a paper because I don't long, have the case. How long, how long can they think it over? Good question. Depends. If, if it's a very complex case, because how case interviews work, especially if you're applying for the consulting firms like McKinsey and BCG and the like, you're only going to do one case. Uh, you're going to do a lot. Like we're talking three, four, probably even five cases. And your last case is with the head of that office, right? So it's not, it's not easy, but it's, it's very doable. So depending on how complex the case is, you can take more time. But you, general rule of thumb, you shouldn't take more than 90 seconds. Gotcha. And if you take a minute to 90 seconds, your answer better be good, right? But you don't want to take 15 seconds either or else your answer won't be good. So the idea is through practice, you can figure out. I usually took 45 to 60 seconds. That was usually um, the time that I took personally. So then after what happens is now what you have to do is you have to build a hypothesis, Okay, so a hypothesis, and this is how consultants work in their day-to-day -day with their clients, they develop hypotheses on what they think is the right answer, and then they validate that hypothesis. So I'll get straight to the right hypothesis, just to keep things simple here. 
So now let's say I go flip it over 60 seconds. I wrote all my case and then you go, yeah, Jeff, I, I think I'm ready. Another thing I want to say here is when I say, Jeff, I think I'm ready. I want to emphasize the fit again. If I, if I turn around and I look at Jeff and I go, uh, yeah, Jeff, I think I'm ready. I don't look like a consultant. I don't feel like a consultant. I'm not acting like a consultant. I'll fail the case. And I want people to know that. But if I say, Jeff, I think I'm ready. I'd love to talk to you through my solution. Now you go, oh, wow, this guy's really passionate about case. He loves what he's doing. I think he'd make a great consultant. Okay, so now let's go through that. Now through the case, this is the hypothesis I would deliver. I would say, so today we're talking about a bakery that is currently losing revenue. And our goal is to return the bakery back to profitability, Jeff. And I believe that the main issue due to the current situations with COVID-19 is that revenues have plummeted over 95% because of the situation that's occurring. Nobody's going into bakery shops anymore. So my hypothesis is that the reason why profitability has decreased is primarily because revenues have decreased. And that is the hypothesis I would like to test for. So that is an example of a good prompt. You're giving a reason. You're not just saying, this is what I think. You're explaining why you think this way. So if you just say, oh, you know, I think revenues go down. Can we test that out? But you're not explaining why you came to that conclusion or how you came to that conclusion. You don't, you get like a seven, right? You get like a six. But the way that you get a nine or a 10 is by explaining current situations. Go ahead. And thus, and thus I, let's deal with non-COVID times. I'm going to work with the reverse hypothesis. The reverse might be on the expense side that um, for whatever the reason is, I'm just I'm not going to preface this. The bakery is in a situation where taxes have gone up, expenses have increased for a variety of different means, and they need to look at either cost reductions or price increases. That's good. So that's an example of an 8 out of 10 answer. A 10 out of 10 would add a little seasoning to that. So it sounds something like this. You know, back to what you're saying, Jeff, absolutely expenses could be going. And I hypothesize that it might be because of the multiple product lines within the bakery. We look at the breads, the cakes, and the buns. Maybe one of the product lines aren't selling at all. So there's, we have a lot of staff that are making these products but aren't selling them, and that could be where our costs are coming from. So that's a hypothesis. That's, you're like, wow, this person clearly knows his bakeries. But obviously, I've done this a lot, so it gives you an idea. That's, that's great. Right? Thank you. So let's progress from this point. Of what course. happens next? Right. So what happens at this point now? So now what the consultant always says is the following. Because they never give you the answer. They guide you in the right direction, as they would do in real life. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, okay, you know, Brendan, that makes sense. So now, how, what would you do to test the hypothesis that revenues are down? So now what I would do is let's think through this. What is the best way to know if revenues have went down? Well, to look at this year's revenue versus last year's, right? Because remember, data is useless if you can't compare it to another year. You just go, I want this year's revenue, and it's 500000 You don't know if that's good or bad, right? So, so the more specific you are about the data and the reason why you're asking it, right, is what's going to allow you to get the right answer. So in this situation, what I would say is I would say, Jeff, so the hypothesis I want to test is I think revenues have decreased tremendously because of COVID. So I would love some data as to the differences between the revenues 
from this year and last year to see what changed and why. So at this point, what the interview is going to do is he's going to do one of three things. One, he, I'm just going to use the pronoun here to keep things simple. He's going to say that you're, you're in the wrong direction. So not saying the wrong direction, he says, he'll, he'll, he'll give you a nudge. He'll say something like, oh, you know, Brendan, you know, that's a good hypothesis. But how about we look at the cost side instead? And the reason he's saying that is because the case is meant to go down the cost rate. But it was good that you mentioned revenue first. That's not happening in this case because we're going into revenue. Second is he just gives you the information. He's like, here's exactly what, uh, what you asked for. What do you think of the revenue? Case number three that happens as much more co as common as number two is they'll say, that's a good point. That's a great data point. But here's what I have instead. What do you think? Right? So they're guiding you in the right direction on how to think. So regardless, you're going to get an answer. and You have to figure out what to do in either scenario. But let's push on number two. Let's keep things simple for today. So for, for that case, it would be, okay, Brendan, you're right. Here are the revenues. What do you think? So now I get like a like a bar graph, let's say, and I notice right away that revenues have went down 80% since last year. So the first thing you always want to say when you get a data point is you always want to say the following most of the time. Jeff, do you mind if I just take a couple of seconds just to gather my thoughts here? And then you say, absolutely. You just don't take 60 seconds. You take 10, 15, 20 seconds just to write down your thoughts. Because remember, consultants, you don't speak too quickly either, right? Because you don't instill confidence that way. Right, so that by writing, then after you structure your thoughts, you're going to have a much better answer. Let me explain why. If you just get right into it and you say, oh, yeah, I see that revenues went down 80%. I'm right. Well, that's not very intuitive. But if you take the time to structure your thoughts, you can add a bit more layers. So you could say something like, well, Jeff, thanks for letting me take some time here. So I, I, I looked at the graph that represents the revenues broken down by each of the product lines between cakes buns as well as breads and i've noticed that in total the revenue has decreased 80 percent but i've noticed that when i when the when the revenues are separated by product line the cake revenue hasn't changed that much the bread revenue hasn't changed that much but the buns have went down 95 percent so the next thing that's on my mind jeff is to ex examine why that is. And my hypothesis is, well, you know, and this is, this is, a, this is what I'm about to say here. This is a good example of showcasing fit, okay? So what, what somebody who's not a fit for the firm would say is they, it, they would sound something like this. Well, you know, I would like to look at uh, the buns to see uh, what we could do there. So that's the right answer, but it's not the right fit thing to say. So I would joke instead and say, well, you know, people are still going to have birthdays anyways. So I don't think cakes are the problem. Or going back to bread, people are still going to eat bread. So I guess that makes sense to me. So what, what this does is it creates a hint for the interviewer that you're not just a great problem solver because that's not meant to solve problems. That's just meant to show your personality. And I do that a lot in case because they know I have the right answer at this point. They know I'm smart because of the way that I structure the problem. So now I'm just showing fit. So that's like a little bonus point. There. So rather than being flat as a personality, the smile comes out. And back to the twinkle in the eye that you're enjoying this. Or my favorite word is you delight in the process and you let them see that. 
Absolutely. And, and just to give some context as I continue through this case, because uh, I don't want to make this whole thing about case either, or else it's going to be not super. But the idea is simple. McKinsey is so competitive as a firm that when you get to the final round, because there's like two rounds of interviews, and at the final round, you're interviewing just with the senior leadership team, everyone is qualified for the job at that point. Because literally a thousand people applied for the posting. There's like seven people left in the final interviews, and they're going to hire like two or three, maybe even one. So the only difference between the offer and the person who doesn't get the offer is pretty much just fit. Because everyone there are machines at cases, right? That, that's where you want to add those little nuances in to showcase your fit. So you have a strong, you have a strong lead for the finish line as you get to the finish line. And if you can crack cases like McKinsey, when you go back to your industry companies, let's say you have a case for, I don't know, uh, some uh, random company like Hertz or something, you're going to demolish the case because you're going to be so good at like hard cases that you're going to be like smoothing through these. So now let's bring it back to where we were in the case. So now we're at a position where it, the revenues have gone down 80% and we're in trouble, but we've noticed that the buns have gone down 95%, but the cakes and breads have been relatively the same. So the next question on my mind is why have the buns decreased so much? So that's the question you want to ask the interviewer. So, so this is my thoughts, Jeff. You know, I just noticed that the buns have gone down. Is there any explanation or data points that helps us drive why that is? And then the interviewer might say, good point. You know, Brendan, actually the reason why the buns have gone down is because, like you said, you know, it's COVID. Nobody really cares about buns. Nobody wants to come into the store for a quick treat. Think of it like a croissant at a, at a bakery. Sure, people might buy packs, but most of the purchases are one-off. And most people don't want to take the risk to, 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 to indulge themselves for, for $2 if the risk the health risk is too high. So that would make a lot of sense, right? So the way that I respond to this is I would say, okay, that makes sense to me. So not this point. We pretty much know what's happening, right? The reason why the bakery went down in revenue was because of COVID. And it primarily hit the revenues for the buns. So now you're at the case where you pretty much have a solution and now you need to give a recommendation. And this is a great opportunity for you to, sh to really stand out from your competition. This is really the secret sauce where you stand out for people. So now the consultant, at this point, you're probably 25 minutes in the intro. I sped it up a bit because obviously I'm, I'm writing my own case here, right? But the, the idea is simple. So now the interviewer, like, you know, they're pretty much wrapping up and they say, Okay, Brendan, I think you did a you know, good job. So could you just summarize the case for me what you found out? So now when he says that, what he's actually, actually asking you to do is to conclude like a consultant. Okay, let me repeat that again. He's asking you to conclude like a consultant. So if you conclude like this, oh, you know, we found out that 80% uh, is gone and the buns are in trouble and uh, we're not going to do But once again, you don't sound like a consultant. So once again, like I, like I said for the other part, we want to ask again the interview. We want to say, Jeff, do you mind if I take a couple of seconds just to gather my thoughts here for the concluding remarks? He's going to say, yes, absolutely. Go for it. No problem. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend the next 25 to 30 seconds dividing up my, uh, my conclusion into three remarks. 
One, the mandate of the case. What did they ask us to do today? Number two, what the solution or what the problem occurred? What happened? What was the solution? And then three, what are some of our recommendations to mitigate this? What are some of the ideas that we could come up as consultants to help them explore and other data points to go through? And the more detailed that last part is, the more points you get and the more that you stand out from somebody who just says, yeah, I went down 80%. Uh, thanks for the interview. Any questions, right? So here's what a great prompt would sound like. That Jeff, thank you so much for, for letting me take the time here. So in conclusion, you've asked us today to assess the bakery's profitability. And we've learned that the bakery isn't doing too well. They sell cups, uh, not cups, bread, <laughs> cupcakes, uh, cakes, and all different sites of products. And we found out that 80% of all of the revenues from the bakery went down. Why? Because of COVID-19, because of all the situations that were happening. But when we did a bit more analysis, Jeff, into the details of the, of the problem of the business, we realized that most of the revenue loss came from buns. So we wanted to explain why. The reason was because since it was a casual eatery, it's not something people buy in packs of 12, People didn't want to take the health risk, the customers in the area, to buy that $2 bun. So what is our recommendation moving forward? We believe the bakery should be looking at a couple of different things. One is to figure out if there's a way to reduce costs. Is there a way for us to apply for grants? Is there a way for us to look into different ways of improving the cost structure within the bakery so that we can be more profitable. And I would love to examine that in a future interview. Because remember, you don't do that all in the same case. You only focus on the data that they give you. Number two, I would love to explore new product offerings that we can use to increase the profitability of the cakes and of the bakery. Is there a product that our customers are dying for us to make that we haven't been making for years? So notice the creativity of the solutions that I'm providing. And number three, is there an opportunity for us to bring our amazing baked goods to their door? There's many different case studies like Cold Stone Creameries and different small business restaurants that are transitioning to the online and delivery space. And I would love to examine that in a future interview as well. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure interviewing with you. Great summation. And I can see how this conveys the impression that you're a consultant. It's not just simply a student who's saying, yeah, find a bunch of stuff out and uh, no, you're acting like a pro. And I really appreciate that. And one thing I want to emphasize for people who are listening, this is not overnight. I had two dedicated coaches. I probably cracked a hundred cases over seven months and I barely got an offer to. I interviewed at three consulting firms. Two of them told me I couldn't crack cases. And the last one said, we love you. We'd love for you to work at our company, right? So I think the idea with Case is you'll know really quickly if this is something you like to do or something you don't. Because after five or six practice runs, because you'll have to do at least 10 or 20, if you don't like it, this is definitely not a career path you should be pursuing because this is what you'll be doing every day of your life. In exactly this way is the funny thing about it. Initially, you're a junior member of the team, but fundamentally, this is your life. You're absolutely right. Exactly. And it's been my life for the past 18 months, and I've been loving it ever since.
fabulous. So that was an example of a fairly easy case. Could we go into something a little bit more complex? Let me think. All right. So one, one other question that you can get is what we call a market sizing case. And it's, it's difficult to do on the fly, but I'll do my best. So what market sizing is, is in an example of a case that you'll get in an interview, so that you'll get the case sometimes. And then in another interview you do with another consultant, it'll just be a market sizing question. So it sounds something like this. Hey, Brendan, it's great to see you. So, you know, we're not going to be doing a case today, actually. I would love for us to to size a market. Is that something that would be cool with you? And then, and then Brendan would go, yeah, absolutely. I would love to market size. And market sizes are very difficult, by the way. So they would say something like, okay, cool. You know, I want to estimate the the number of the number of cars that are sold in the u.s every year how would you go about estimating that so essentially what what the the consultant is looking for as you can probably guess is not an exact answer how could you possibly know right but rather the thought process and how you go about finding an example why is this important the reason is because consultants estimate all the time why because sometimes the data isn't there and they got to work with something to keep moving in the interview process. So I just gave us an example of a market size. So let's go through that. So the first thing you want to do in a market size is you want to clarify. So the first thing I would say is I would say, thank you so much, Jeff. So just so to make sure that I understand the question here, are you referring to new car sales in within the same year or does that also include old and new cars? So then the interviewer will say something like, oh, well, Brendan, um, no, actually, it's just going to be new cars. So notice how if you don't clarify, you're not going to market, the, you're not going to size the right market that they're looking for. And then you just flunk the case right away. And then after that, okay, new car sales, that makes sense. So another clarifying question I have for you, Jeff, is, is there any specific brands you want me to look into or is it really just car sales in general across Volkswagen and BMW? And do I count each of those cars as equally as the Ferrari as I do the Toyota? And then the intro will say, yes, please count each one as if it's the same exact value, even if the dollar amounts are completely different. Say perfect. So now we have pretty much everything we need for the market size. We want to estimate the number of new cars that are being sold in a given year. So you go, okay. So you go, all right. So here's my thoughts, Jeff. Right now we know that the population of the United States is around 350 million individuals. And within that individuals, you know, there's going to be some people who live in the city, some people who live in rural areas, and some people who kind of live in the middle. So not everybody needs a car and not every single individual needs a car. So to keep things simple, what I'm going to do is I'm going to assume that one in every two person or two people in the States might need a car, but not necessarily. Go ahead. In, in a given year. And also, it's interesting, you hypothesized an assumption. And I'm curious where the assumption came from other than out of your derriere. Good question. So when you make assumptions in a market size, you need to give reasons as to what you're doing, but they don't need to be scientifically based, right? 
So, so the way that I think about this, so let's, let's kind of like make this, I guess, this market size more clear. So now since we're looking at new car sales for the year, I can probably assume that since some people live in single family homes or are alone and own a car, and there's families as well that own a car, that, and the average family size in the U.S. is probably three to four people. We can probably find a middle ground and assume every one in two to one in three person either owns a car or wants a car in the future. So this is just assumptions you got to work with, or else you can't really move forward with the case, right? So it's just so so it's sort it's like half from my derriere. <laughs> so you kind of want to just so so let's keep things simple. Let's just say the population of the U.S. is three hundred million, because remember you're not allowed a calculator in a market size case. So just use clean numbers. Okay, so I would just use 300 million, one in three. Let's just say one in three has a car. That's 100 million. Okay, so 100 million cars. So let me just reiterate for everybody. I assume that the US population is 300 million for the simplicity of our calculations. And I assumed that one in three people have a car or want a car. So, you know, some, you know, a lot of people are single family, they have a car, they drive alone. Other people are family owners, they might have SUVs. So let's just assume one in three. So now we have 100 million people and potentially 100 million cars. So from that, we need to ask ourselves, what percentage of those people and what percentage of those cars that will be bought in a given year, how many of them will be new? Well, so that's what, I, so what the interview would do in this case. Say, how would you estimate that? Because they, they don't really have data for you. They just kind of ask you what you think. And then you go, well, the average lifespan of a car is around 10 years. Let's assume it's around 10 years. So every 10 years, right, the, a new car will be required, right? So if you go back to the 100 million cars, 10% of that population, 10% of those cars will be new, bought, right? So out of the 100 million every year, 10, 10 million of them will be traded and sold to other people because the average life expectancy of any car, let's just say, is 10 years. Sometimes it's 15 if you buy a Toyota. Sometimes it's five or six if you buy a Ferrari or something. So we average it out to 10. So now, now we have 10 million cars that will be bought or sold in any given year. But since Jeff- 30, 10% of 300? 10% of a million. Yeah, yeah. So I, as you can see from Jeff's questioning, market sizing isn't easy, right? So uh, just to, to walk through the data one more time. Of course. 300 million people, 10%, uh, sorry, one third are going to need um, cars and there's turnover every 10 years right. approximately so, so around 10 percent 10 percent is 10 million thank you you got it so so notice how as a consultant that's your job right you kind of have to if jeff doesn't understand i failed the case right if i'm too complicated or if i'm too jargony so now from the 10 10 billion now we need to ask ourselves what percentage of those 10 million cars are new cars and what percentage are old cars? So as you can imagine, this is a very difficult thing to estimate, but you have to give your general impressions. So you could say something like this. Well, Jeff, uh, of course it's difficult to estimate what percentage of that would be old and what percentage of it would be new, but my intuition is telling me that given the current economic conditions, less people who need a car will end up buying a new one because they probably can't afford it since a lot of them lost their jobs, a lot of them are struggling financially and probably want to cut costs dramatically. So let's just assume for simplicity's sake that 60% 
of those car sales are old and 40% of them are new rather than the usual 60-40 for 60% new, 40% old. Right? So you're just going, or you could say 70-30. It doesn't, you don't lose points as long as you're explaining the rationale. So based on that analysis, there are going to be 4 million new cars sold every year in the United States. And then the last thing that the interviewer will ask you is now you have to do a fact check. Does that make sense? Does 4 million new cars every year make sense as sold? So imagine the number I ended up with was 500 million. Would that make sense? No! no! Right, because the, uh, the population is 360 million, you know, 300 million, however you want it. But if I say 4 million, I can reply with, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's, the number is not, you know, in the, you know, in the tens of millions, because not, it's not, cars are not something you eat on a regular basis. It's something you buy for a decade. So yes, it makes sense to me, Jeff, and I passed the market size, right? But the way that you stand out, so let's say somebody got lucky and they have a lot of car experience. Obviously, you don't get judged on that, but you know, it's always nice to get bonus points wherever you can. So that's like an example of a market size that you'll pretty much get in any case interview that you do. With only, one thing I want to emphasize though, that is only for the consulting firms. So if you want to work at McKinsey and Company, Bain and Company, BCG, IBM, Accenture, Deloitte, Pricewaterhouse, and those companies, and you want to join their consulting division, that's when you'll get market size questions. But case interviews are also given at many companies around the world that have nothing to do with consulting. You know, Google has a case interview, but it's not like that. It's, it's not format in that way. But those are the hardest types of cases that we went over today. So if you can just do those cases, you can master any case interview. But remember, whether it's a market size or whether it's a case, the consultants are not interested in the answer. They're interested in the thought process and how you got to the answer. And they're also curious as to how you'll be as a team member. Because how you interact with me, the interviewer, is how you'll interact with the CEO that is paying us millions of dollars to put your bum in this board. <laughs> right? So you've got to make sure that you don't embarrass the, the, the firm. And just to confirm one piece of data, at the end of that market size, expect to be asked for a summation as well. You got it. And the summation won't be the, the same in this case. It will be just a breakdown of everything that you did. It won't be like a recommendation anymore, it, but rather it'll be other data points that I would look into. So for example, if we just did this, I'm going to do it the full because we already got the structure, but more in the sense of, so now that we come to the 4 million, a way that I would test this market size to, to improve its validity is I would get data on the actual percentage of cars in the United States that are old, that are bought that are old versus new. So that would give us more concrete data. And I would look into the percentage of the, the average percentage of car ownership per family. So is it, is it more people who have cars are alone? Is it more people who are in families? My assumption, educating guests would be more on the families, but I would double check that because maybe the ratio will change from one to three to one to 2.5 or one to four. But obviously you don't have to calculate it at that point. This is fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, of course Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> Brendan, what haven't we covered so far that we really should as part of uh, this interview? In relation to case interviews, what I would say, and then we can talk a bit about public speaking, is, look, at the end of the day, everyone, I love case interviews because it separates the greats from the people who aren't interested in a career 
in cases and consulting. And I think what Jeff says with this, with I'm sure his podcast and the guests he brings on, is whenever you apply for a job, you want to make sure that you're not just throwing out a resume, that you really are targeting that company and saying, this is the company for me. And case interviews is that on steroids. Not only do they test you in every interview, they also assess if you met me for coffee, if you took the time to reach out. Some firms don't even interview you, even if you have a 4.0 GPO, unless you, you won like the gold medal at like the Olympics. If you don't know anyone in the firm, they're not even going to bother interviewing you because they didn't bother reaching out. Because every person I know who didn't reach out didn't get interviews. So you really need to show that you're committed. And just to give people an idea how committed I was, and I don't encourage people to do this because I was extreme, I grabbed 30 coffees. I met consultants at McKinsey, BCG, IBM, Accenture, Oliver Wyman, et cetera, et cetera, just to land three interviews, right? Most of them still didn't interview me anyways, right? So that's, that's the idea is you really, if you really want this, go for it. But what I want to say also is if you have a case interview with like Avis or with, with Kroger uh, and you can do cases like we did today, you are going to walk out the number one candidate without a doubt. Cause these are like much harder than the actual cases you would get there. Brendan, thank you. This is fabulous. Public speaking. You want to speak, you said you want to speak to that as well. Absolutely. So the part of public speaking I want to cover in the relation to case entries is the following. Communication is essential if you want to be a consultant. And the reason is because the way that you articulate your thoughts is being tested at every second from before you even get the job to after you get it. So I would encourage you all as you practice case interviews and cases in general for any company you want to work for to not just do this one-on-one -on -one like me and Jeff did today, but to also do practices with groups. There's a reason why most of my friends ended up working at McKinsey and BCG and Bain and all these companies. Not because they're more important or more special, because our life was case. We would spend nights and days not just doing case interviews, but presenting them to groups of 50 people, 60 people. And we were presenting to senior vice presidents when we were like 20. So when it was time for our case interviews, when we graduated, we were talking like, like partners. So how does that map to you? How does that map to your personal situation? Because I know you're looking at me and saying, well, I can't do these competitions. Say, okay, fair enough. There's always an opportunity for you to go out there, get a group of friends. Because I practice cases in teams. Don't do it alone or else it's daunting and lonely and boring. And then in groups, when you're practicing with them, you want to present back the case, standing up as if it was a presentation. And that communication skill that ability for you to interact with people will help you tremendously in your case interview. And I'm going to go one extra step because it's something that someone reached out to me about, I'd say about a week ago. And that is the practice in front of the mirror is not good enough because the practice in front of the mirror leaves you seeming as though it's stale and stiff because you're not getting any feedback. You Absolutely. want to be in front of people so that you're watching their reactions to you. You're hearing the chatter. You're getting questions from them because the mirror just won't do that. 
Exactly. And there's a lot of videos on YouTube where you can actually watch people do case interviews with each other and you can watch how they're interacting because a lot of the people who are doing those videos already are working at those companies. So you can see exactly how they're interacting, how they're moving and mirror a lot of their behavior. Super. How can people find out more about you and the work that you do? Of course. I'm not famous or anything like Jeff over here. So feel free to just send me a message on Instagram at master your talk. And this seems to be more of a business related podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. And if you want to check out my public speaking YouTube videos and you want to learn about how to communicate better in your case interviews or in any interview you take on, check out my YouTube channel, master talk in one word. And spell your name for everyone, please. Yeah, of course. So that's B R E N D E N. Kumar Sami's K-U-M-A-R-A-S-A-M-Y. Hence why I called the YouTube channel Master Talk, not my name, or nobody would find me. <laughs> this has been great, Brendan. Thank you. That's today's show. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, here are a few more ways to get information and advice from me. First of all, visit my website, which is TheBigGameHunter.us. Go to the blog. There's a lot there to help you with your job search, hiring more effectively, managing and leading, and workplace-related issues. In addition, if you're interested in my coaching you, there's a button there that says Schedule. Schedule time for a free discovery call or schedule yourself in for coaching. Obviously, I'm going to charge for that, but I can help you with interview preparation, leadership coaching, salary negotiation advice, making a good decision between different offers, anything related to improving yourself in the workplace, I can coach you about. If you have questions for me, you can schedule 15 minutes with me at thebiggamehunter.us forward slash live or you know, a less expensive way is at thebiggamehunter.us forward slash video answers, where you leave a message for me and I'll respond with a three to five minute video. Connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. I can assure you your network will expand a lot by connecting with me. And finally, watch me on TV. Download the Job Search TV app for Fire TV, Fire Stick, Apple TV, Roku, like 90 different manufacturers. I'll be back tomorrow with more. And in the meantime, I hope you have a terrific day. Be great! Rule the day the plant-based way with the new vegan mixed berry from Smoothie King. Powered by whole, non-GMO fruits, oat milk, and vegan protein, it's a dairy-free, plant-based smoothie you can feel great about. With 13 grams of protein and half your daily fiber, it's an easy way to get the essential nutrients your body craves. Skip the line and order online for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King. Rule the day. Rule the day the plant-based way with the new vegan mixed berry from Smoothie King. Powered by whole, non-GMO fruits, oat milk, and vegan protein, it's a dairy-free, plant-based smoothie you can feel great about. With 13 grams of protein and half your daily fiber, it's an easy way to get the essential nutrients your body craves. Skip the line and order online for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King. Rule the day.